everybody. Welcome to the world's greatest Bronze Age comic book podcast, Flea Market Fantasy. I'm your co-host, Mike Gell, and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Plus, we have a very special guest this week. Tell everybody That's who's joining right. us. That's right. It's our old buddy, Miles Watson, author and raconteur. Miles Watson. Yes, I'm <laughs> back because they needed a warm body and they were upset that they let my record on this show yeah. get annihilated by someone else. Yeah, Miles, I, I don't even know. I don't even think he's close anymore, right, Michael? I think it's like 14 to 10 or something like that. I think it's 14 to 10, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, 11 after tonight. This will be 11, you yeah. Bastard. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Jank is running away with it. Well, Miles Watson, uh, I reached out to you because this week I picked the A-Team, issue one from 1984. And uh, if it's one thing I figured I know about Miles Watson is that he loves the A-Team. And I, I was right. Correct? Well, you have to you have to be right occasionally about something. <laughs> yeah, but you just seem like this would be up your alley, the A-Team. It was because I, I actually remember uh, watching the pilot of this the night it was broadcast and then discussing it at elementary school the next day. Everyone was oh. very excited by nice. the fact that this show existed. Because, I mean, it really did have all the things little male kids like <laughs> explosions more explosions yeah. still more explosions mr t and face man i mean because we already knew who dirk benedict was from galactica so he, he right. was like he was a walk-in like he needed no introduction and then mr t of course you know he just was mr t and that's battlestar galactica miles yeah. uses the shorthand for all the uh, <laughs> cool kids yeah. out there but uh, yeah, Dirk Benedict was on there. And of course, I knew George Papard from Banachek when I was a little kid. I was like, hey, there's George Papard from Banachek. <laughs> <laughs> I love Banachek. Let's do a show on Banachek sometime. That'd be great. Uh, but Mike, yo, I'm guessing the A-Team was popular up in Canada as well, right? Absolutely. Like, I probably haven't seen it since it was canceled, but I definitely remember watching it every week when it was on for sure. Yeah, I mean, hey, the LCS Hockey Radio Show, our opening theme every week is the A-Team. Oh, that's the right. The A-Team. Yeah. We love the A-Team. Uh, for those who don't remember, uh, it was a TV show on NBC that came out in, uh, what year was it here? From 82 to 86. And uh, it seems early, 82 to 86, but all right, whatever. Um, five seasons, 98 episodes. 98 episodes. Wow. And I guess it got whacked halfway through the fifth season because the ratings dropped. Awesome. Yeah, there was kind of a debacle about the fifth season. They ended up doing a very long, they, they had kind of a big story arc for the final, you know, for the series finale. But the, the network didn't show the episodes and until like a couple years later, like when it was in reruns. So if you were watching in syndication, which is how all those actors got rich, um, they put out the A-Team's final episodes. But if you, were, if you were a fan of the show and you were watching it at the time, the show just ended. Wow. There was no series finale. Yeah, I mean, it, if, you, if you listen to Dirk Benedict talk about the A-Team, he and Dwight Schultz, who plays uh, Hal and Mad Murdock, are very emphatic about how much the network hated that show and how much they <laughs> resented the fact that it was, for a time, one of their most popular shows. Right. Oh, yeah, they hated it. Was- Real problem. And by the way, it did start to air in uh, 1983, and it aired to 87. I looked at when it was filmed. So okay. it started filming in 82, but it hit the TV in 83, 
And yeah, Miles, it was very popular. In the first season, it was the 10th ranked show on TV. And keep in mind, this is when there's only like three channels. So, uh, yeah. you know, that if you're watching, deal, then. yeah, it had a 20.1 rating, like 20% of all TVs are watching the A-Team. And then uh, in season two, it ranked fourth overall behind yeah. only like uh, what, Dallas Dynasty in 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. I think. And it was fourth. Season three, it ranked sixth. And in season two, it had a 24 share. So that was the peak. And then uh, season four it dropped to thirtieth, uh, sixteen point nine rating. And then in season five it dropped to sixty first, twelve point eight. That twelve point eight rating would still be gigantic today. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would like to throw uh, my two cents in on that. I, when I was in L.A., I had a conversation with somebody who was involved in that show, The O.C. Oh yeah, yeah. And he said, he said when the show debuted, it had like thirty five million viewers or some insane amount of viewers, you know, just yeah. absolutely insane viewership. And he said when it was canceled, it had like 16 million or something like that. I'm making that number up. The numbers are available on the internet. <laughs> yeah. And he made the crack to the extent that the, the network was bitterly disappointed that the ratings had gone down that extent. And none of them were smart enough to understand that even having gone down, the ratings were still huge. And, and he said, you know, today they would literally commission murders of <laughs> Of yeah. anyone you care to name to get a sh- if they could guarantee a show would have 14 million viewers, they would kill everybody mm-hmm. to do it. And they canceled it. And I think with, with the A-Team, you know, even when it was at the end, when it was kind of a travesty of, cause it was always a cartoon, but it didn't age well. You know, it became as its audience grew and the silliness of the, of the episodes became more egregious as you, as you got a little older and, you know, as you transitioned from like, say elementary school to the first year of high school, all of it seemed just incredibly silly. People were looking for things more edgy, but the audience that it had was still very large. So it's by, again, by, you know, by the standards of the time, you look at 67 from coming down from number two or four, what would you say? Four? Uh, uh, yeah, it's, that's a massive fall. It's a tremendous fall. But the, the amount of, like you said, the share, the amount of people who were watching it in the millions was still, by today's standards, would have been a huge hit. So it's, it's changing times, you know. Everybody's guess, fighting now for a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. And I guess we should recap for those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Uh, the A-Team was a group of four members of a former commando outfit who are now mercenaries for hire. And uh, also they're wanted by the law, right? Like the, uh, yes. Oh yes. They were, they were imprisoned. They were tried and convicted for a crime. They did not commit. <laughs> That's right. The they did not commit. <laughs> narration repeatedly reminds you they were busted and chucked in a military prison from which they promptly escaped. And, uh, now yeah. they work as mercenaries for hire. If you can find them, they will basically work for you. Which of course begs the question of, of how can, 98 different people hire the A-team over five years, but the government can't find them. <laughs> Well, the government's pretty stupid. So, That's but yeah, true. The, the members uh, I answered my own question. <laughs> the commandos are, their leader is Lieutenant Colonel John Hannibal Smith, portrayed by George Pappard. <laughs> and he's always smoking a, uh, like a thin cigar, right? And he and he's always uh, says he loves it when a plan comes together. That's his big gimmick. <laughs> Love it when a plan comes together. And then we have Lieutenant Templeton Peck, played by Dirk Benedict. Uh, they call him the face. And he's like a master of uh, 
well, not this guy. Well, sort of like this guy's right, but he can. He's real charming and can uh, sneak in yeah. places and stuff. He's the he's the he's the ladies' man of yeah. the group. Then we have uh, Dwight Schultz is portraying uh, Captain H M Howling Mad Murdoch, and he's always like their uh, helicopter pilot. Or their, uh, and he's insane. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's all oatmeal north of the eyebrows. And then finally, we have the uh, mechanic and sergeant first class. Bosco B.A. or Bad Attitude Baracus, played by Mr. T. And uh, I, I guess this uh, show was conceived as a vehicle for Mr. T. Really? Huh. Yeah, like the writers went into it trying to get something for Mr. T. And uh, yeah, good, Miles, who were the guys that created this? Uh, they're Stephen Cannell and somebody. It was the classic lineup of Frank Lupo and Stephen yep. J. Cannell. Um, if you're familiar with 80s television, 70s, 80s, and 90s television, there are certain names that will come up over and over and over and over again. Those producers who sort of were responsible for all the hits of that time and some of them big misses, but Stephen J. Canal was definitely one of them. Frank Lupo is not as well known, but he was very, very important. Yeah, they worked together a lot, Lupo and Canal. And uh, actually, uh, Dirk Benedict, he wasn't in the pilot. They had another actor, Tim Dunnigan, play face in the pilot. Wow. That's right. I forgot about that. I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah they recast him. Canell and Lupo always wanted Benedict, but for some reason the network did it at first. So they Benedict finally got had their way. A, yeah, Benedict, and, and I, I won't go too deeply into this because it's, it's only tangentially related, but Benedict always had problems with the studio. And <laughs> they, uh, they didn't want him on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> wow. And he got the part, yeah, he got the part, which was written for him, basically. And... The, the, the whole Glenn Larson had to basically force, who was another one of those producers that I just mentioned, um, who was all over everything at that time period. Glenn Larson had to kind of force the network into taking Dirk Benedict. And it was a very similar story here. They had, they had to kind of ram it through. And I guess, uh, James Coburn was considered for uh, Hannibal. Yeah, he was like the first, uh, idea for Hannibal. And then George Papar. He, he would have been good. Yeah. He would have been good at it. Yeah, that would have been a good choice. And we should also mention Robert Vaughn joined the cast in season five. Really? Oh my God. I didn't even I, know that. Oh, you forgot. Yeah, Robert Vaughn. He came on. He kind of like, uh, he's kind of like their uh, upper management then. Like he came in and got them out of trouble. So they started working for him. And he uh, he said if you do so many successful missions for me then our books are you know you're free to go or whatever right. one of them deals and uh but robert vaughn was good buddies with george papard and the reason they brought him in season five is because papard and mr t weren't talking really <laughs> they didn't like they didn't <laughs> like each other so they thought robert vaughn could uh, uh smooth those waters but miles watson uh on the lcs hockey show many months ago you made us watch battle beyond the stars papard and robert vaughn were both in that one Remember? Yes, they were. They were uh, together, okay. as which is just a proof that if you if you hang around Hollywood long enough, everybody will work with everybody else. <laughs> and Mike L, apparently, there's, like or not. I don't know if you remember this, Mike L, but there was an episode called uh, Body Slam. Okay. In, in which the A team encounter uh, the British Bulldogs, Mr. Wonderful Paul Warndorf, Hulk no Hogan. Really? Yeah. So I'd I'd like to watch that for okay. sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah, I remember that episode very well. They they have to get, I remember at the end, they have to get Hulk Hogan to a match that he's fighting. <laughs> that seems about and right. <laughs> they, the, the running gag throughout that 
episode is is that B.A. Baracus, a.k.a. Mr. T, and Hulk Hogan, who's playing himself, are kind of friends but old rivals. And Hulk Hogan's trying to get B.A. to admit that he's afraid of something. And, of course, B.A.'s whole thing is, I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, yeah, Nothing yeah. scares me. And that was the uh, that was the gag in there because they had worked together, or I should say they worked in the same film, Rocky Three. Yes, that's right. Where Hogan got real popular. Um, yeah. A couple other notable guest stars over the years on the A-Team. Um, looking through the list here, uh, Joe Namath, William the Refrigerator Perry, Pat Sajak, John Saxon. Wasn't John Saxon also in Battle Beyond the Stars? Am I remembering that properly? Yes, or? he was. He was the bad yeah. guy. He's, he's yeah. the only person that I can think of that I actually met from this this whole gang of, yeah. of people. I was trying to think coming in tonight had I met any of the cast or anything that I could have an anecdote and John Saxon's the only one, he was a bad guy <laughs> on the show for one episode. So it's not much of a connection. Yeah. And uh, Mike, do you remember John Saxon enter the dragon and all that? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Now I do. Yep. Uh, Ernie Hudson was also on a uh, episode. Uh, Isaac Hayes, Shecky Green, Boy George. And finally, uh, Rick James played himself mm. in the heart. <laughs> I want to see the Rick James episode as well. That'd be good. All right, so yeah, the A-Team, very popular, and there are a lot of running jokes. Uh, one of them is that, of course, uh, B.A. was scared to fly. So every time they had to fly somewhere, they always had to drug B.A. Usually they, like, slipped him a Mickey in his milk. He always drank milk. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot about that, okay. Yeah, they do it. They do it in this uh, issue, right? I think they do. Yeah, I was confused right? about the milk. I was like, why is he drinking milk? But I, I, I guess that must yeah. have been a thing, yeah. Yeah, for the kids, he always drinks milk. And by the way, I was reading up on the George Papard Mr. T relationship right here before we started recording. And uh, from what I can gather, it seems like Mr. T wanted to fire six of the crew members, including the wardrobe lady and uh, just some other random folks. And uh, he said, you know, hey, you got to fire them or I'm not going to do the show. George Papard heard about this. And he said, well, if you're going to fire those six people, you better add a seventh to the list. Mm-hmm. George Papard, because I will quit. If you fire those six people, so that started a big fight, and uh, they didn't talk. George Papard said he didn't talk to Mr. T for 16 weeks. Wow! <laughs> and then uh, I think George Papard ended up having a heart attack, and then when he had the health scare, he uh, he, he mended fences with Mr. T. He said, "All right, this is too much." I seem to remember uh, Dwight Schultz and, and Dirk Benedict also talking to the effect that they, because they, they, both of them are kind of naturally mischievous people who would revel in this sort of thing rather than feel uncomfortable <laughs> by it. And they used to say that, you know, Papard would say something like, Dirk, would you tell T <laughs> that I would like him to move out of my light? And then T would go, I tell that fool, I ain't moving out of his light. <laughs> and they would just stand there and, and, and do it. And the director would be like, popping pills and um, probably praying for his own death. That's the same way this uh, here podcast works when we're not <laughs> recording. That's <us>. True. <laughs> Miles, would you please tell Mike L I'm not doing any more Batman epi- issues? Could you please, please tell him? Too much. Mike L, he doesn't like <laughs> Batman issues. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Anything else about the A team we should mention before we get into this? Or is that, uh, I guess the, the one thing that I would mention is if no one is familiar with the show, it was notorious for the staggering amount of violence that occurred on it without anyone ever getting killed. Thousands yes. of rounds were fired. Grenades were always thrown. 
Claymore mines were set off. Helicopters hit cliffs and then exploded yeah. and fell hundreds of feet. Cars flipped. Tanks rolled over cars. Buildings fell down. People fell <laughs> off the building. Anything you care to name that would kill a human being happened on the show hundreds of times, and no one ever died. So yeah. that was the, the hallmark of the A-Team was that it was unlimited amounts of violence without anyone ever hitting anything or being harmed in any way by, say, a hand grenade going off directly be- between their feet. But I, I can still picture in my mind, like, the explosion, and then they'll show a guy, like, just ru- jumping through the screen, like, uh, you know, yeah. left to right. And then and dusting the himself off, a little yeah. confused, <laughs> and you know, uh, surrendering. Two, two other things that remind me of, though, of course, they drove around in a really cool van, a black van with, like, a red pinstripe on it, like a little design. And then uh, every episode, like Miles said, it always featured a big fight or some sort at the end. But leading up to that, the A-Team would improvise a lot of weaponry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they'd always uh, make oh, their yeah. own v- armored vehicles or something out of things you'd find yeah. around the house. That's a, <laughs> just... that's a good catch, yeah. Mike Dell, because the other thing it was famous for before MacGyver yes. was that there was always, especially in the later, uh, as, the, as the series developed, there, were always, there was always a scene where they would do something like, hey, we have to overcome this band of mercenaries. But all we have is a broken down old tractor, some cabbages, <laughs> and uh, some you know some barbed wire, and they would make a tank that fired cabbages. <laughs> and there would be a montage sequence of them putting it all together, BA yeah. carrying big sheets of armored steel right. shirt off, Howlin' Mad Murdoch <laughs> welding something. There's um, always a blowtorch. You know, There's always somebody a blow smoking torch a cigar. Well, that would be Hannibal. And then the thing would emerge, you know, out of the barn, exploding out of the barn, shooting That's cabbages right. that would knock people down. Yeah, it was it was MacGyver before MacGyver. Yeah, the bursting out of the random barn. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that always happened. All right. Yeah, so it God. invented that whole idea of the montage whilst building something, right? I believe. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It was they, if they didn't awesome. invent it, they certainly popularized it. Right. Because MacGyver's entire basis was... <laughs> Uh, was was the you know him? I've got chewing gum, a broken radio, and uh, an old flare, and I'm going right. to make a thermonuclear weapon out of it. Right. You know, like, then that's kind. Of, I think they got that from the A team. Uh huh. So that brings us to the comic book here today. And I mentioned the show hit the air in '83. The comic came out in '84. It was a way to promote the show. And when the show came out, uh, Jim Salakrup, the writer here today, he only was able to watch one episode. <laughs> like, like, that's all that was on the air. Yeah, it was just okay. one episode. So he watched that, and then he wrote this story here that we're reading today. And uh, Marie Severin is the artist we've talked about here on the show before, very famous uh, creator here in comics. And uh, But the book only lasted three issues, and that was pretty much the idea all along. They, it was just three issues to promote the show, and they were sold in little packs. Uh, sometimes the first two were sold in a pack, and then you could also get all three or something. Or I don't know what it was. There are two different versions of these packs you could get, and uh, so it was just to promote the TV show. That's all it was. I'm kind of huh. surprised there wasn't a longer series though that they didn't do more. Of yeah, why not? Something. Right. It was a little shocking. Uh-huh. Well, were there 18 toys? I don't know. I don't remember, but there had to have been. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking in my mind. Not to, because this is post Star Wars, so they were they were making action figures for when whenever when Lucas showed the world how much you could tie in merchandising for a series. I've granted a movie series in that case, but the A Team was a huge hit, and I would be abs. I I don't remember anything. Nothing's coming to mind, but I would be shocked if they if there weren't lines of you know. 
toys, guns, mailbox, <laughs> lunch boxes, everything. Okay, uh, I guess just don't what, remember it. I googled it, and they there are toys. There are toys, and they look exactly like GI Joe figures with just different colors, basically. Like, well, they look a little different. Well, like, oh, well, I, I'm looking at the main pack now, and it's like the same design, though. Like you can see the the way the legs and like the torso or the whatever that's called, like the hips, fit together. It's GI Joe, right? Obviously, with different clothes and different faces, but it's the same uh, design. Yeah, I can see the ones you're looking at. There's there's other versions of them too okay. that look different. Yeah, but um, yeah, there must have been a whole bunch of different toys, but uh, I don't remember about that. So. Because there are some that look bigger and bulkier. Right, right. I see those two. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right, so there you go. There's the A-Team. All right, let's get into it, Mike. Let's talk about this cover. This is an awesome cover. It's by John Romita Sr., and it just proves there's nothing he can't do, right? Like, this looks like classic Romita art, but it also looks like the actors, right? Yeah, it looks like, very much like the actors. Right. It's hard to be a cartoonist and do likenesses without looking stiff. And, of course, he manages to pull it off. But anyway, we've got this great pinup shot of the A-Team with Mr. T in the middle. Um, the classic logo, A-Team. And then at the top, it says, all the action, all the thrills, now in their very own Marvel comic. And then we've got their faces in the corner box. And it says, first collector's item issue. And I, I don't remember. What's the girl's name again? This is Amy Allen. Amy. Okay, I forgot. And then at the bottom, below Mr. T, we've got uh, the diamonds. Yeah, that's Miles, that's what confused me about this cover. It seems like Mr. T can shit diamonds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, um, we, we've never truly plumbed the depths of all his powers. I mean, he, <laughs> he, every man has secrets, Mike. You know, <laughs> yeah. These could be his. <laughs> yeah, the way it's, he's positioned, he's standing... All proud and triumphant over some uh, Look, if pile of diamonds. Could get diamonds, it would be Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> the diamonds are right between his feet. Yeah, looks like he hatched some diamonds. Um, yeah, it's a great cover, though, right, Miles? It like is. It? I actually do like this cover quite a bit. I like the bold colors. Yeah, you'll Marie notice Severn. there's a red, red, white, and blue theme kind of going there. Um, I mean, obviously there's a big yellow and there's greens and everything else, but there's a they managed to work in a red, white, and blue. Uh, you've got the, the, as Mike L said, the likenesses of everyone, except maybe I'm not crazy about the reproduction they did of, of Dirk Benedict's face, but yeah, everybody else is visibly <laughs> the same. Hannibal looks like George Papard. Mr. T looks like Mr. T Dwight Schultz. That's very, I would know that is Dwight Schultz face that yep. just from looking at that. If you said, who is that? I would know that exactly. Whereas they kind of gave a generic pretty boy look to uh, face man's character. That's the only one. As far as the female character, it, she was mm, those those characters on the A team were were put in kind of as an afterthought. So I don't even remember what she looked like. Yeah, same here. I, I think they had a few of them over the years. A few different. Yeah, they did. They got rid of the first one because she wanted a bigger part on the show, and George Papard was quite <laughs> cruel to her and oh, told her man. on the very first day. <laughs> that she was basically there for glamour shots and nobody wanted her there. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of no. kind of mean spirited of him, but Now help us yeah. make this tractor into a tank. <laughs> yeah. So, there it is. Funny. Yeah, great cover and uh, it gets you uh, fired up for some A team. Can't wait. First collector's item issue. Hey, you notice the A team the they didn't put bullet holes through the A team or anything, you know? Like true. Yeah. 
the TV show, didn't they always have like bullet holes come up on the screen? Like, da, 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 da. well, I noticed not to skip ahead, but I noticed this comic was very light on gunplay. One might say. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's funny all right. to be honest. I got to say, before we jumped in, I thought this was going to be a star comic. I didn't realize how early it was, you know? Yeah. This is but, pre-star. Right. Pre-star comics. So anyway. Yeah. Miles Watson, if you're not aware, star comics is like the, uh, brand that marvel had for like kids comics younger yeah. comics okay okay hey you know you know who was a star comic uh miles alf he had a star yeah, comic. yeah. <laughs> miles loves i'm gonna alf. hire the a team to kill alf <laughs> 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 all right so the book opens up here uh diamonds are a thief's best friend is the title yeah there's a lot of plays on movie titles in this comic as we'll see there are yeah yes, there are and we mentioned it's written by Jim Salakrup, right? Did we mention yep. that yet? Yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so he, I know him more as an editor, but he's also a writer, I guess. Didn't he write, like, what we did, like, last week? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, he wrote in the Inhumanoids. That's right, Inhumanoids, that's right. <laughs> he also, we talked about it last week, but he did those uh, Spidey super stories for right. little, little kids and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, so, so, yeah, we open up the book with Mr. T ordering a hot dog. And he's he's kind of standing on the street in what is described as the ghetto, or at least he described it as the ghetto. And uh, he's watching some kids play, eating his hot dog. And then he catches this kid trying to lift some hubcaps off a car. Yeah. I want a comic book about this kid. Yeah. Like his, his life seems fascinating to me because he looks like <laughs> a badass. Right. Yeah. So Mr. T picks him up by his like shirt and is like, what you doing, boy? Nothing. You're lucky I'm not in the... I'm not the law or you'd be in deep trouble. And he basically lectures him about how he should be using his skills to be a mechanic instead of a thief and how that's the only way to get out of the ghetto, right? Yeah. The only yeah. way out of here. By the way, Miles Watson, uh, when you were a kid, did you have like the Mr. T starter kit? Did you have all the gold chains and the feather earrings and everything? I did not. I uh, got I've got to confess that the back of his head always freaked me out because his mohawk was connected <laughs> to the hair on the back of his neck, which then traveled above his ears and connected to his beard. And from the back, it looked to me like he was wearing a hockey mask, like he was a black Jason Voorhees, and that freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, with the straps. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. See, I, I, did you guys know, I found out today, it's not actually a mohawk. It is a, you guys know this, right? No, I don't. It, it is a no. haircut from the Mandika Warriors of West Africa. That's why it is the way it is. I had no idea. I didn't know that. Yeah, look at that. Teaching us new things, Michael. Yep, always. Yeah, so Mr. T, he's giving the kid the speech, and then Michael, someone uh, taps Mr. T on the shoulder and says, Hey, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And what does Mr. T say? It says, in my voice, I pity the fool who messes with me. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't set you up to do it in your voice. Oh, okay. <laughs> I set you up. Ah, ah, I'm not going to do any more Mr. All T. All right. Just... So then, uh, so anyway, it turns out this is his old buddy, Mario Ronda. Right? Mario and I, and I kind of forgot, Mr. T is actually not that tall, is he? No. Because as he walks away, he's got his arm around his buddy, but he's actually shorter. They draw him shorter than uh, Mario, which is kind of cool. How tall do you think Mr. T is? I love celebrity guessing celebrity heights. Uh, 5'10 is my guess. Wow, that's actually right. <laughs> yep. 5'10. Right. Okay. Don't fuck with Miles Watson and celebrity heights. <laughs> <Yeah. Those are laughs> stuff. 
<laughs> so, yeah, five ten. Which I mean, it still makes him taller than Sylvester Stallone because Sylvester Stallone's like four ten, right? So, <laughs> yeah, Miles, Ma- you worked in the Hollywood. Uh, all very tiny people, right? With big heads. Small uh, Tom Cruise, people. Sylvester Stallone, Jean Claude Van Damme are all. If you if you stack them one on top the other, they're about <laughs> six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much. So, all right, so he meets his buddy, uh, Mario Ronda. And yep. uh, what do they do there, Michael? They go and get a mil- uh Oh, well, they go to a bar, but Mr. T orders some milk. Yeah. And we have and a... Re- huh? He's got to set a good example for the kids. Right, got Mr. Right. T drinking. You know? And then we get a very cool two-page sequence. It's like a classic <laughs> comic strip type sequence where... The, the frame stays exactly the same, but the characters move around in it, and it's Mr. T and Mario talking, and then some ruffians at the side of the bar trying to get Mr. T's attention, and they're making fun of him because he's drinking milk. And they keep yeah. trying to get his attention, but uh, Mr. T and Mario are ignoring him, carrying on their own conversation. Then finally, the guys decide to walk over, and it turns into a barroom brawl, and basically, these guys get their asses kicked. Yeah. Sock, whack, wump. And, and and like the the other bar patrons kind of clear out of the way, and then when it's all over, the guys are all stacked on top of each other. Mr. T finishes his milk, and Mario puts back on his hat. At the end. And, and Miles, uh, we've talked about this before on the show about how in comics they like to head hop, and in this uh, instance, we get just random people at the bar. We get inside their heads, and we hear their thoughts. And uh, like the guy hiding behind the bar, he's like, "Oh, sounds quiet. Wonder if it's safe." And then he says, "At least they're neat because they stacked up all the bodies." Which is nice, you know, they, they <laughs> knock these guys unconscious and now they're, they're putting their bodies in a heap, thus causing the guy at the bottom of the pile to suffocate, but we won't get into that. <laughs> how do you feel about, uh, Miles, how do you feel about them jumping into just random people's heads? Because they do that a bunch in this book, I would say. I, honestly, I, I thought it was kind of funny. It's, it's also a little weird because these are yeah. not characters that if you go back a page, um, they they show the the bartender is like this sort of meek looking guy and then there's a normal balding guy a little overweight smoking a pipe on the corner and you see as the fight is about to break out the bartender grabs a bottle and hides under the bar and says see you ray and the the guy with the pipe is running out of the frame saying so long bob so there's like a little narrative that they did over there and then the bartender then picks it up with sounds quiet wonder if it's safe at least they're neat it was curious. Yeah. I guess they felt like because they were doing these really long panels, maybe they had to throw in a little extra action there. Cause if you look at these panels, they're very long and the yeah. everything to the left of T is basically nothing without the, the thought bubbles. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. To fill it out. I also noticed something uh, interesting here. If you look at the one panel, we can tell that they're watching cheers on TV. Oh yeah. Good point. You can see cheers. Yeah. So that's, I love Cheers, but here's the real interesting thing. Uh, they named this uh, bar Duffy's Tavern. Now, does that name mean anything to you guys? Not me. Well, it was a classic Duffy. radio show called <laughs> Duffy's Tavern, and it was a, a comedy, like a sitcom, but a radio version back in the you know what forties and whatnot and fifties. And uh, but Duffy's Tavern was the inspiration for Cheers. Wow! Look at that! Wow! That's interesting. I did not know, know that, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of old time radio. Yeah, so am I. I. I used to listen to Duffy's Tavern all the time. But uh, how and about I would that? like to add 
that as we go through this, this comic, there are a number of pop culture references that are both subtle and gross that they've woven into <laughs> yeah. the, uh, into the narrative here. Yeah. We'll highlight some of them as we go. Yeah. But yeah, Mike, you know, after the big fight, uh, Mr. T and his buddy, uh, Mario Ronda, they, uh, they part ways and they just say, Hey, good to see you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but then, then we get inside Mario's head and he's like, Hey, BA doesn't suspect that. I know he's part of the A team. Maybe it's better that way. And right. then Mr. T says, Mario was packing a gun. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> That's fine. Mr. T. Uh, but he, I saw him, uh, when we were fighting those guys, he's, I wonder what he has a gun for, you know, he, he that could be right. Trouble. So little foreshadowing exactly so then they go back to headquarters right or actually no it's the stanford arms hotel yeah and they're having a meeting right and uh what's his name uh hannibal is see because i i completely forget the premise of the show but did he and, and i know that jim salakrup has only watched one episode but did he give them their missions yeah he's their leader okay you know? hannibal is the leader of the group he's a colonel yeah. and he led them in the field okay in Vietnam, and A Team, incidentally, for those who are not familiar, is a was a a group of special forces soldiers in Vietnam. It's this the Green Berets used to break down their their teams and things like Mike Forces. They were called an A Teams. So if you were huh. an A Team, you were a Green Beret, basically in Vietnam. Huh. And he was the boss. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, so he's giving them their. He's basically breaking down what their next mission is going to be, and so he he introduces them. Uh, on these like slides or whatever to this guy named Roger Townsend. Or, yeah. Uh, he's, he, he's a, he owns diamond mines and basically, um, they, what is it? I don't remember what, what the scam is. Is that <laughs> someone's stealing their diamonds? Yes. Someone is stealing their diamonds. There you go. And we cut over to the scene of him, uh, talking to, so this is supposed to be, um, this is a uh, Hannibal Smith who's come for a meeting, right? Yeah. And as they're having this meeting, um, this young guy walks in. He's like, "Dad, I'll need your signature." How dare you? And he gets all pissed off. How many times have I told you to knock before entering my office? And so this is his son. And so he kicks his son out of the office. And then we cut back in, and it's Hannibal and this guy Peter Townsend. And uh, this, and they're basically they figure out that uh, these diamonds are being stolen and they're being fenced by. These guys called the Lopez brothers, Angelo and Salvador. And they're being delivered to these guys by someone named Mario Ronda, who we met earlier, who yeah. is Mr. T's buddy. And so Mr. T freaks out. And he's like, Mario's my friend. He ain't no crazy diamond smuggler. I grew up with that man, and believe me, he's straight. So he's all mad. And, and uh, Hannibal's like, hey, we'll find out what's going on either way, right? Yeah. So then... Um, so yeah, Mr. T's like, you'll see that Rod is a good man. I know he is. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, yeah, Mr. T's upset because his old buddy could be uh, tied in with the jewel thieves. You right, know? right. And then we cut over to, so now this is Mario Ronda, right? Yep. He's going, yeah, so now he is in uh, Miami, Miami Beach, and he's going into a hotel to meet meet these guys. The the uh, Not the Lopez brothers, but these are guys, like some in-betweeners. Oh, no, this is a chic. This is Sheik and Biak. And so he gives them the diamonds. And then as he's leaving, some guys try to, um, what's it called? Like, not mug him, but. Yeah. Mug him, I guess. Robin. Robin, yeah. there you go. Either way. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so he gets into the elevator. The elevator closes. And then we see a girl waiting for the elevator. Elevator. 
he comes out and says hi to her or, or, or like tips his hat to her. She's like, what a gentleman. And then she looks down in the elevator and she sees the two guys have the shit beat out of them, right? Yeah. By Mario Ronda. Yep. Don't fuck with Mario Ronda and Mr. T. Right. Tough guys. So then we, uh, so we cut back over and now Mario Ronda's taking a nap on the plane. And then we cut over to, um, what's it called? Now, who's this now? I don't remember. <laughs> this is Mario Ronda meeting with the Lopez bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. He's giving them and, the money for the diamonds. He's right, the bag right. man, you know? He yes, yes. And then we cut over to a private airfield outside of Los Angeles. And this is the A-team. And they're getting ready for, <laughs> for their mission. And Mr. T is complaining that he doesn't want to fly. And then just at that moment, this guy shows up who looks like I don't even know who he looks like. Well, Miles, he looks like Doctor Who, right? This guy? That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like he looks like a monkey with a wig on. His, <laughs> but he, his face is hideously ugly. But he looks no, like Doctor Who to me with the scarf. He does. Well, he, he looks like a modern <laughs> Doctor Who with a kind of the combination of like the scarf, the sweater, the <laughs> blazer, the, the tie. But his face is, is horrific. It's going to give me nightmares. <laughs> I, would, I would like to just jump in here and say that there is another reference on when Mario Ronda is flying, he says, I've seen this movie five times already. I'll just grab a quick nap. Oh, that's right. My prediction pain is on his earphone. So he's watching yeah. Rocky three, yeah. watching Mr. T uh, right before his fight. Yeah. I, I, Rocky, to I had that. to throw yeah. that in there. Yeah. I didn't get that. Okay, cool. Yeah, nice Mr. T. So, so this guy, Stephen Kaminsky comes in and he is pretending to be, Someone who, um, uh, he's got a, a medal for uh, Mr. T, and he starts... Well, he says he's a pilot. You know? Right. Oh, he's like, yeah, I proved my medal back in Vietnam, sir. I'm considered an ace. And then, and then he pulls out, um, oh, sorry, he pulls out a medal and shows it to Mr. T, and he starts sort of, what's that called? Like, he just sort of swing it in front of him. He's like, notice how the light bounces off of it. And basically, unbeknownst to Mr. T, he's hypnotizing him. Yeah, he hypnotized him. Right, and then he basically tells uh, Hannibal, he's like, or Hannibal's like, and or he says, while he's in this trance, your fear of flying is gone, sir. And then Hannibal says, so all I gotta do is snap my fingers and I'll be back to normal, like in your nickelback. Yes, sir. So then they're all good to go now. So then they push. Huh? I'm sorry. We should also mention that Miss Pris, that diamond guy's right hand man, woman and secretary, is uh, accompanying the A team on this mission. Right. She's been working at that diamond company for many, many years. She is the, what's her family relation here? She's like the sister of his ex, she, his widow, his, or his dead wife. Yeah, right? She's yeah. his sister-in-law. So she's accompanying them on this mission. And uh, she's all worried about Mr. T. And they're like, oh, no, he's okay. Don't worry about it. And uh, and they wake him up on the plane, Mike Ellis. They just wake him up and he's all furious and whatnot. Right, you did it to me again. Yeah. The last time. And uh, so then we cut, so then they end up in um, so now they're in uh, where are they? Oh yeah, San Juan. San Juan. So, and Mike, uh, here comes one of them pop culture references. Oh yes, right Lucy's in disguise with diamonds in her <laughs> purse. <laughs> yeah, that was something, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, the kids probably didn't get it, so it was kind of yeah. Sad. That Miss Pris is uh, disguised as a lady named Lucy carrying around diamonds in her purse, and Amy Allen is a. Uh, Walking her through the hotel and stuff, getting her signed in, and right. uh, she's playing her aunt or right. whatever. So. Calls her Aunt Maud, and then we cut over to Mr. T and Hannibal looking down 
at um, Mario Lando, and he's with the uh, the Lopez brothers, right? Yeah. And they're kind of like looking over them as they're like sitting next to a pool making their deal. So Mr. T decides to uh, intervene, and he goes down to talk to this guy face to face, and he's like, "I want to talk to you." And so, what, of, what the hell is Mr. T wearing here? Just the uh, like white shorts <laughs> with a red sash belt. Right. That's <sighs> that's his whole outfit. That's what is weird. going on? He still got his jewelry on though. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I used to have a rabbit's foot like that. That's a rabbit's foot hanging from his ear, right? Um, I think one of them is, and then he's got feathers and all kind okay. of stuff. Anyway, so then at the same time that Mr. T wants to meet um, Mario, uh, Hannibal has set up a meeting with, uh, is it the Lopez brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not Hannibal, is it? Or... Is it? No, no. It's. Um... Yeah, it is in Hannibal's suite. Okay. Yes. I don't know. I'm confused. Miles, do you know where we're at? <laughs> Here's the <laughs> thing. Where the, these smug, these, what are these guys? The smugglers? They're. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they're, is, they're in is another like, suite. In, is that, is in that the, face? Yeah, that's face yeah. Hannibal and Murdoch on in disguise. In disguise. They're, yeah, they're in yeah, they're yeah. in Hannibal's suite in this resort hotel doing this deal. Yeah, they got to sell them diamonds. Because then Murdoch's looking all weird when they uh, the Lopez brothers turn their backs to him. Right. Uh, the right. the A team are celebrating that they tricked them. And, oh, and that's look right. Up, he makes a weird face. Then he says, yeah. hung out." <laughs> look at Murdoch's face. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Um, and then, then we cut over to uh, what's her name, Amy and uh, Miss Pris, right? Yes, yes. And uh, oh, and then Amy notices that Miss Pris notices something. She's like, "What is it? Did you spot someone? I is the thief here?" Heavens, no! It's just all this excitement. It's nothing. So she basically just changes the subject, right? Pretends yeah. she didn't see anything. So then we cut over to Hannibal and Face. And they're watching um, Mario get into his car. So then they decide to follow him in their helicopter. Uh, that's Hannibal and uh, Howling Mad Murdoch. Oh, right, 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 right. Murdoch. And then, uh, and then Amy, Amy comes outside and tells, this is Face, right? Yes. And tells Face, yeah. She tells Face that Mrs. Priss, or Miss Priss, is gone. Can't find her. And then um, Face is like, well, we needed her to identify Townsend's traitor. She sure picked the wrong time to cut out. Oh, no, look at this. Hannibal, Amy says the ladies vanished, which is a reference to the lady vanishes. Yeah, Hitchcock movie. Yep. Yeah. And so then um, they're basically just trying to figure out what's going on. So the helicopter is following Mario and Face and Amy. Where are they going? I don't even know where they're going. They're, well, they're still looking for Miss Press. They're just okay. uh, trying to find. So then we cut over to the, a restaurant and... All these people are showing up to this restaurant and all going to the back, right? They're all trying to have this meeting in the back. And it's, uh, who is this? Is this, is this the... That's the son of the diamond uh, mine owner. Right. Yeah. And he's meeting with Mario Landa, or whatever the fuck that guy's name is. So like, oh my god, this son, he's the guilty party. He's mm -hmm. the guy running, the stealing the jewels. That right. creepy son. Yeah. And, uh... So, yeah, so we see Paul Townsend having the meeting, and then the A-team shows up, right? In dis Are they still in disguise? Yeah, I guess. Well, not really. Well, well, yeah, that's not the A. Those are just bad dudes, right? No, it's, uh, I'm, ta I'm talking about uh, when they're all standing together. 
And they're like, oh, the traitor is Townsend's kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was on the next page already. Okay. <laughs> or the oh. gas masks. The yeah. guys with the gas masks. So, yeah, so then then the guy, the bad guys put their gas masks on and throw down some tear gas. They start to run out with the briefcases. And uh, once they get outside, um, Hannibal's like, we've been suckered. The kid's gone and so is our helicopter. And then, uh, and then, uh, what's your name? Amy is like, uh, oh, they're like, oh, we'll use the car. And Amy's like, that's gone too, Hannibal. Lucy must have warned Paul Townsend. She knew most of our plan. And then, and then he says, so did B.A. And remember, B.A. is um, still trying to prove that Mario's a good guy. So now we cut back to Mario coming to his hotel room, and Mr. T is waiting there on the balcony, right? And he's tied up his, uh, his guards, I guess, or his buddies. Who are these guys? Yeah, just Mario's, uh, you know, fellow criminals. Right. So basically, they're sort of yelling at each other, but not really listening to each other. So they start a big fist fight. Like Mr. T, like, tries to hit him with a lamp, with a light, and like uh, Mario punches him, whack, kick. Knees uh, him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Knees him in the face, grabs him by the leg, throws him across the room, and then and then Mr. T, what does he do here? Oh, he picks up his hat and he, he punches his hat. <laughs> Hey, yeah, he's old. mad. Yeah, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. The whole time, Mister T's like, "This is gonna." I, I know what my father meant when he said this. When he used to whip me and say, "This is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you," because he, he doesn't want to beat up his friend. Mm -hmm. But no, his friend's uh, smuggling uh, diamonds, so he's got to teach him a lesson. Miles Watson, how do you uh, how do you rate that fight scene there between <laughs> Mister T and Mario? I actually liked the way it opened. Uh, Mister T misses with his punch, yeah. hits the wall. And and takes a couple shots, which I I enjoyed. Of course, they're not going to let Mister T ever lose a fight uh, yeah, anywhere look, on the. Yeah, look at that first shot he takes. It's like a double hand, like an axe handle, two fisted axe handle uppercut, whack. So yeah, kind of a Captain Kirk style, Kirk yeah. Fu style, using the the intertwined <laughs> hands to. And then we to then we face. get a knee to the head of a grounded opponent, Miles. That's uh -huh. a disqualification yeah. in the UFC. Yeah, he he gives him a he gives him a knee, and then T grabs his leg, his calf. And begins to spin him. Or well, does he spin him around or does he throw him? I guess. Yeah, he just like. I think, I think it's a spin and a throw. Yeah, yeah spin <laughs> and a throw. But and, but that's an unusual technique. You don't see that much in the UFC. A guy will just grab someone by the leg and swing them around and throw them. You don't right. see that too often. Mr. T, according to the cartoon that he that he briefly had when I was in junior <laughs> yes. high school, could catch uh, if a tank fired a main round at him, he could catch it with his hands. So I'm oh, thinking wow. throwing the guy around by his feet. It was not difficult. For <laughs> That's him. pretty good. And then he punches the hat out, and uh, but then his buddy uh, Mario he pulls a gun on him. And he's right. like, "Holy hell!" He's like, "Get that, uh, get that piece out of my face, or I'll forget you were ever my friend." And he says, "For crying out loud, I'm FBI, and I'm still your friend." So look at that. He was an undercover FBI agent doing a uh, doing a sting, kind mm -hmm. of uh, arrest the uh, diamond smugglers. And Mr. B, Mr. B.A. <laughs> B.A. says, you're a G-man? And he's like, uh, Hannah, when are you going to believe this? And, he, and, uh, and Mario's just upset that Mr. T punched the hole in his hat. Right. Like, you son of a bitch. It's my <laughs> new hat. But uh, how about that? But the whole time, uh, earlier when we had the foreshadowing of them uh, leaving the bar together, Duffy's Tavern together, uh, Mario was a little nervous because uh, he technically he should be arresting B.A. Mm -hmm. Because B.A. is wanted by the law, you know? Right. And he's FBI. He should be arresting him. But he's like, ah, I can't do that. He's my friend. You know? So look at that. That Murray is a good guy. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't sell out tea. <laughs> yep. So then we cut back to the hotel, and Miss Pris is uh, she's checking out. 
She's like, I've had enough for your uh, little espionage bit. I'm out of here. I'm going home. And they're like, all right, I guess. So they're they're all confused there, Michael. Right. And then basically, so they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Face is like, it's simple. Pris is protecting Junior from Daddy Warbucks, family pride and all that. And Hannibal's like, I don't buy it. So, oh, so then this is when Mr. T tells them that Mario is a fed. And yeah. Mario's like, my, my partner, Bill Maxwell, and I have been working on this thing for months. Have some diamonds, right? Yeah, flip some, and, some diamonds. Okay, then we cut over to, uh, this is Amy coming back to her hotel, right? Yep. Her hotel room. And then she looks in like the little garbage thing for the, the, the housekeepers, whatever they call the housekeeping. And she's like, uh, oh, the maid must have just finished cleaning Lucy's room. Here's the wig I gave her for her disguise. And what's this? I don't believe it. So then we have to wait until the next page to find out what she found. Um, she comes into the room while they're all hanging out and uh, then opens it up. And we still don't see what she's found, right? They put it on the table and then they're like, huh. So what's this got to do with the diamond crooks? This explains everything, right? So now they think they figured it out. And then Hannibal's like, I've got a plan. And Mr. T's upset because they have to go to the airport, right? As usual. Yeah. So now we cut over back to Los Angeles, and this is, is this Hannibal by himself? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Hannibal, and I think, uh, is that Face with him? Or? That's what I can't tell, if that's just a guy or if that's Face. Yeah, it's tough to recognize Face in this book, I will uh -huh. say that. He doesn't yeah. really, kind of just blends in with everybody. But yeah, they go back to the Diamond Place, um, and uh, is it Mr. Townsend, or is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they're meeting with his son and Miss Press. And Hannibal's about to break the news, and he says, hey, Miss Press, uh, you got something to tell us? And she breaks down crying. What's going on, Michael? Miss Press? So, yeah, basically what it is is they, uh, they have a disguise. This is, the, this is what they found, right, in the hotel, in the garbage. A disguise that they take off and put on Miss um, Press. Well, yeah, they, they have Murdoch wear it to come in the room to show right. that, oh, my God, there's two Pete Townsends or whatever his name is. Right, right, right. Name, Pete and they're like, oh, there's two of these uh, sons here. But no, because the son has a very distinctive look, uh, a Van Dyke beard and mustache and glasses and everything. So uh, they say, oh, well, here, here's Murdoch wearing a disguise. Miss Pris, you wore the disguise when we were uh, to make the, the, the deal with the diamonds. It was you, right. Miss Pris. Right, right, right. And so, and then so, um, what's his name? Uh, the actual son is like, this could explain why Pris always scheduled my trips to coincide with the diamond thefts. And she didn't advise you to never confide in me, dad. And then she's like, enough, I did it. I, I was mad. By all rights, the company should be mine. I loved you, Roger, but you married my sister instead of me. I helped build this empire, but you wanted to give it to Paul instead of me. So there you go. Yeah, so Miss Pris was the guilty party all along. And then we get the A-team celebrating together. Except uh, then in the last panel, we see uh, Mario and Mr. T. They decided to take a cruise because they didn't want to fly. So they're, uh, they're going back on the boat, and Mr. T's seasick. Yep. Uh -uh. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There it is, the A-team. Miles Watson, that was a pretty involved plot. Yes. <laughs> you are not kidding. <laughs> I, I was actually kind of staggered by, A, how talky this was. There, yeah, not a lot of a action. A lot of talk. No, there's, yeah. a, there's no shooting that I can remember at all, which for an A-team episode was blasphemy. Um, yeah. 
that that's number one. It's an incredibly involved plot. They they come at you as if the plot is very straightforward. They set up the son as the red herring, and they set up the the, the FBI agent. You know, he he's supposed to be, oh, he's gone bad and he's working for these smugglers. So my first two thoughts were, a, he's an FBI agent or he's a government <laughs> agent. I was right about that. But the son, it's I was like, oh, this plot's obvious. I have to say the the twists that they started to lay on towards the in the last act I didn't I didn't see Miss Pris coming until the until well, the very end because they were counting on one important thing that uh, everyone would kind of believe that an elderly woman could look like a man if she puts on a must fake mustache mm-hmm. like I, I think <laughs> I think an FBI agent would be able to tell that hey that's an elderly woman wearing a fake yeah. mustache. <laughs> Well, this is the advantage of things like comic books and radio <laughs> yeah. is that you can you can do plots where like, oh, the midget was, you know, the, the kid was actually a midget, <laughs> whereas you can't do that in a live action series. You can't do this sort of thing in a live action series, but you can you can kind of get away with it in a comic book like the the Scooby Doo thing of, oh, nobody noticed this guy was wearing a, a latex mask. <laughs> right. <laughs> like at the end, don't you think For- the sun should have been really offended? He's like, wait a minute. This old lady puts on a fake mustache and that looks like me? What is going on here? Yeah. I don't look like that. I look like a real man. (laughs) Yeah. That was kind of, they needed that for the plot to work. Um, But yeah, it was a very, very intricate plot. Yeah. (laughs) For a comic book. (laughs) Well, for a kid. Maybe they had some kind of a dictate that said they couldn't shoot, uh, couldn't do so much gunplay or something. And so. Because I looked ahead to this yeah. to the second issue, and uh, apparently BA gets in a, a scuffle with a sumo wrestler in issue two, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of gunplay in that one either. So, and that might have been a mandate that they had or something, and that's why they decided to get to to plot it out. And maybe that's why this only lasted three issues. Uh, people are <laughs> like, "What the fuck is this? We want guns. We want tractor tanks. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Mm-hmm. Cabbages Explosions. being fired." At- yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I got to say, I looked ahead to number two, and I had number two as a kid, so I definitely read. Ah, yeah. Did you? I remember this cover. About that. Uh, um, Miles, what did you think about the uh, the art? Oh, I knew you were going to somehow. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that question. I'll be honest. I thought the art was pretty sloppy and bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I did. I, I I had some hopes when I saw the cover. Because I thought the cover, you know, I was like, that's a bold cover. It uses a lot of colors. It's, it's, they're going for kind of a representational look for the characters, which, as Mike L. pointed out, is difficult. And I thought, wow, they're, you know, they're, not, they're not screwing around here. But I thought the art was pretty bad. It's, it's not terrible, but it's kind of sloppy. The proportions seem off in certain spots. Yeah, it the, seems like uh, some some panels you can tell were just sketched real quick, and that's all they did with it. They didn't really uh, refine them at all. And uh, yeah, there's not there's not a, a I mean there's some you can see the intricacy of like the way they're working with T and his chains and and there seems to be some effort in there. And then in other cases, it just looks very rushed, sloppy. The colors are a little maybe not the best choices. Too many kind of reddish orange clay 
red, all sort of jammed, like in that bar sequence. It looks a little blurry and unfocused. Um, I'm just not crazy about the art in this. It's, it's, it's not very good. I don't know another way to put that. I, I don't <laughs> think it's very good. We're big fans of Marie Severin here, Mike O, but yeah. I think uh, you would agree that it's a little rushed, it looks like, this art. Right? Well, little... yeah, I was trying to figure out what the problem is, because I do like Marie Severin, and I think it, it, the problem is, is that she's not very good at action, and she's not necessarily good at drawing, like, if you look, every time she draws B.A. Baracus, he looks ridiculous, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think he looks pretty good. Uh, well, but if you look at, like, shots of like when they're just checking into the hotel and stuff like that those shots look really good so i think she seems more like a classic almost she's probably an old romance artist right so she's good at drawing like faces and just people talking but she's not great definitely not good at action and probably not as good at drawing like muscle-bound men that's my guess because anything that wasn't a muscle-bound man looked okay to me i thought so <laughs> i actually did like the art for the most part uh, yeah, there's just some panels that you can just tell it's really rushed and uh, right. not thought out so much. But uh, yeah, we're usually big fans of her work, so uh, I'll give her a pass. But um, I, I think, Miles, you remember the one time you were on here, we did a, an episode of uh, Star Trek, or issue yeah. of Star Trek. And yep, I remember my com my complaint in that one was that like the style of art was... Um, it would be one way, and then every time they would show a face of a character, the, the face of that character would be very realistic and um, detailed to make it look almost like photorealism of the art of the yeah. actor, you know? Right. And I thought yeah. that was kind of distracting. And at least this way, uh, this is like the other way. We don't, the art style is consistent throughout, but, you know, face doesn't look like face at all through any of this, uh -huh. you know? No, and, no. And I wonder, I honestly wonder why, because. They they really did make some of the other characters look like you said, especially hey, with B A. That's photorealism you know, almost on his face. You know what I'm wondering is uh, we mentioned that Jim Salakrup. There only one air episode it aired when they wrote the issue and started working on. It. So maybe the pilot aired with that other actor as face. That is possible. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. That's yeah, so maybe Dirk Benedict isn't even here yet for them to do this. So yeah, maybe that's what that's what happened. But yeah, he doesn't look like face at all. Murdoch kind of goes in and out. Papard looks pretty good as Papard. There's some really good Papard-esque pictures in here. And uh, B.A. is pretty recognizable no matter what you do to him. So, uh, but um, I don't know. I, yeah, the art, it's a mixed bag. Um, not the best, but uh, I still kind of like this simple, like simplistic style, though. Right, I agree. To me, this is like 1950s art, like in yeah. a good way. It, 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 it does look very old-fashioned, but I still think it's good. Yeah. So, all right, uh, Mike, what did you think about the story? Were you uh, also a little uh, little too confused by the story well, going on? Considering I expected it to be like a Star Kids comic, I was surprised how complex the story was. Yeah, it is yeah. a very complex you know? plot. And I at least admire it for having, like any comic that can have a complete story in one issue gets an extra point for me because... That is so rare nowadays, right? So for yeah. that, I, I, I actually did enjoy it. It was I was surprised how good it was, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed it as well. But uh, like Miles was saying, we need some guns. We need some fights. <laughs> we need some, uh, you know, makeshift tanks. We need. Well, uh, have often uh, on on this very show, we have often discussed the difference that happens sometimes when you're taking a movie or a television series and you're turning it into a comic book. 
how important it is to capture things like the voice of the characters. And I think this one certainly does a better job of capturing the voice of the characters as I understand them. I know, shut up, fool, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, the the fool. Asides and the, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, Hannibal seems to be in voice. Um, Face really doesn't have anything to do in this episode, so it's there's nothing there. But B.A. seems right. But as far as as far as the entire concept goes, the A-Team, you cannot have the A-Team without having guns, explosions, and then building things. (laughs) Yes. This actually, this story actually belongs more in the fifth season of the show than it would have in the first four. And the fifth season was when the ratings were, were in a terminal decline. They tried to remake the show because it, it had become, and I'm stealing this, uh, from a from a magazine review that's quoted somewhere, I think on Wikipedia or something, it says that basically it was rinse and repeat for their plot line. It was the same thing every week, and it had become kind of a joke. So they decided to remake the show, have them working for the specific guy, Robert Vaughn, but what they were doing was they were doing more Mission Impossible-style missions that involved disguises and infiltration and kid, you know, stealing a secret from the Russians or, or getting a secret back that had been stolen from, you know, that sort of thing. It it shifted to a mission impossible format somewhat. And this reminded me more of that than it does of the four seasons of the show that actually gave it its identity, which is about shooting explosions. I mean, they always did the cons. They always did the makeup, the disguises. That was always a part of the show, but that was only a part of the show. This, this is, it's kind of the whole thing here. There's no guns here. Uh, They don't blow anything up and they don't make a cabbage firing tank. So how far, the question that I'm posing here is how far can you separate the essence of a show from itself in a comic and still have that feeling that, that this is really the A-team? Yeah. And again, I guess the big problem here is they had only watched one episode before writing this. So the right. A-team we know and love, they didn't even know yet. Right. So, yeah, because th- this plot could involve any like detective TV show. This could have just been any detective random like... That's uh, true. Uh, you know, who am I thinking of? Uh, like this could be an episode of Rockford Files. But we just with the A-team. But, you know, it's not an A-team plot. So... Um, but it's still interesting to see those characters together, right? Sure. I think so. Now, Mike, yo, I've heard they made other A-Team comic books in recent years. I think after the movie, they made another Yeah, series. I was going to say, we didn't even mention the movie. I haven't seen it, but... Oh, I saw it. Miles, did you see the movie? The remake? No. Or the... Uh, no. no. Yeah. I never Jessica Biel's in it. And hey, Rampage Jackson <laughs> plays a BA. I would watch it just yeah. for Bradley Cooper. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Bradley Cooper. There you go. And uh, who, who pl- uh, Liam Neeson plays... Uh, Animal, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I watched the movie a long time ago. I remember it not being that great. Um, so <laughs> I, I didn't care enough. I was told by some people that it's actually surprisingly good, but I don't care enough to verify that. Um, and I think if I recall, it's like a five or a six out of ten. You know, okay, you know, middle, middling, but uh, which is here. not that's not worth my time in the sense of. Yeah. I'm not a big believer in the whole idea of doing the modern reboot of things um, because they usually get it wrong. Now I'm, I, I have no knowledge of this movie other than the previews that I saw, but I will just say that it didn't really interest me to see other people play those characters. Right. So uh, I mean, BA to me is, is Mr. T 
face is definitely Dirk Benedict and Howlin' Mad Murdoch is definitely Dwight Schultz. I think that was, you know, that that's established. And I didn't really care to see anybody else play him. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, I was surprised they never made more of those. And I look back, I guess the, the critics didn't like it at all. It made some money though. But, um, yeah, they, there's usually with a sequel, they usually have this thing. I forget what the term is. I call it a tripwire. You hit, a certain amount in Hollywood and the sequel is automatic. So that figure is arrived at by taking the film's budget. It's, and then the amount that is spent advertising on it, which is sometimes bigger than the budget of the film. And you, you take that figure and then you put a profit margin on top of that. And if you hit that margin, whatever that is that they've set with inflation, you know, it's obviously changing every year, but if you hit that, there's an automatic sequel. So it might not have hit that, even though it made money, sometimes that's possible. Yeah. It's possible for a film to make money or even quite a lot of money, go over a hundred million gross and still not hit that automatic sequel mark. So I don't know what the politics were of that, but yeah, we never saw another one. I never saw the first one. Yeah. So no more 18 movies, but, but I guess the, the show is still streaming places, right? Um, I think it might be on Tubi. There was a poll that was taken of, of something like 1000 television shows of what would you like to see again? Like, what would you like to see this brought back and made again? And a team was number one <laughs> Nice. <laughs> of all of 1000 television shows. So there's obviously a lot of nostalgia that goes into yeah. people sort of like the Dukes of hazard or any of those other programs. And I also wanted to mention this since we're talking about nostalgia, the Mr. T's buddy, Mario, is it? I can, yeah. His name is Ronda. Okay, Mario. Mario Ronda. Ronda. Mario Ronda makes several references to his partner being Bill Maxwell Yeah. in this comic. Now, it might seem strange that he referenced the name of a character we don't see who's pretty irrelevant to the story. He could have just said, my partner is holding those guys prisoner or something. There's plot MacGuffin. Sews up a little plot hole. Bill Maxwell, the FBI agent, is a character in Greatest American Hero, played by Robert. Oh, Paul. look at that! Really? Yeah. Well, so Paul. that was that was yet another. This is very meta. This, yeah. This, <laughs> for the time it was written, I mean, this is shockingly full of not only references to pop culture stuff, but like the Cheers, Rocky yeah. Three is an in joke. You know, they, they did a surprising amount of that, and then the Bill Maxwell thing was was very interesting to me because Greatest American Hero was kind of a, it ran a little before, but I think it overlapped with a team for maybe a year yeah, at or least two, a year. maybe not. Um, and for them to reference Bill Maxwell FBI, because that was Bill Maxwell's whole thing. That was his whole joke on the show is that he was obsessed with the fact that he was an FBI agent. So he would always say Bill Maxwell FBI he even had yeah, it. In his personal I never would have picked team. up on that. I hadn't, I haven't seen that show since I was a kid. So I never would have. Hey, Mike L, did they ever do a greatest American hero comic book? I don't think so. You think they would, but no, yeah. I've never seen one. William Pat, actually, who played the greatest American hero, did a three. He did a three issue comic. Oh, wow. Of greatest American hero in 2008 or something. Holy hell. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, it was just like a limited edition, limited series. I'm not sure what the what the phrase is, but they did. a He did a three uh, three episode. Uh, That's something series. How about that? Of it. All right, and I was well, I was uh, slightly acquainted with with him 
when on Heroes, because I worked on Heroes, and he was killed by Hayden Panettiere on that show, or somebody. Was, he, was, he was frozen in ice and then shattered, I believe. I can't remember who killed him. I don't think I never. Him, I never watched The Heroes. Mike L., did you watch The Heroes? The TV show Heroes? Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, I never did. No. Yeah, I never, I never watched it either. I, I worked yeah, on one season of it. But I, maybe one episode, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I worked All on right. season four of it. But Bill, anyway, Bill Cat was on there, and he he is very uh, devoted to the whole um, era that is in question here, Greatest American Hero, and his <laughs> his uh, tie-in to this is Robert Culp's Bill Maxwell, who is somehow manages to make it into this A-Team comic. It's fascinating. Six degrees of separation. Yeah, I never would have noticed that one. So, Miles, uh, what do you give the A-Team issue one from 1984? You know, I thought a lot about this today because I was like, <laughs> I don't like the art. It, it, there's no gunplay <laughs> and everything. I, I want to give them strong... I want to give strong props to the fact that, as, as Michael said, they, they told a very complex story in a single comic. And that's, yeah. that's impressive. They also did obviously put a lot of thought into the plot and they nailed the character voices for the most part very well. So based on that, I would give it like a six, um, a six and a half, something like that. I didn't care for the artwork and I thought that they drifted way too far from the mission of the A team, which is to blow things up and, and forget the cabbage tank. They should have at least had, you know, some gunplay in this, but I don't think you can divorce the, the fundamental soul <laughs> of a show in the comic and still expect people to really like it. So I don't think I would go much higher than like a six and a half on this. Yeah, I think that's about right. I'll go six as well because it's a thumbs up, but uh, not yeah. overly enthusiastic because, it, like you said, it's way yeah. too far from the TV show. But uh, yeah. it's still, you can tell the, uh, the plot, they put a lot of effort into it, you know? Yeah. They, uh, so I enjoyed it, and I like the art a little bit better than Miles. And, uh, you know, so it's a six. It's enjoyable, but nothing too great. Uh, Mike, yeah, what do you think? Actually, yeah, I give it a six as well. Like, I, I think I probably enjoyed it more than uh, Miles, but, yeah, I mean, it's not a masterpiece, but... Again, the key thing for me is it tells a complete story in one issue, and it's a decent story, and I do like the art, so that's why I give it a six. Yeah, six is all a sign of the beast. Six, six, six. <laughs> and, yeah, go. six, six, six. And I would <laughs> just like to say that, that I do actually agree with Mike Dell in that it is a thumbs up for me, even though I'm not crazy about it. I, I did enjoy the, the story, like the layers of the story that were there, the twists and all of that. I thought that that was surprisingly good storytelling, probably better storytelling than the series had in real <laughs> yeah, life. Probably. So there you go. All right, that's the A-Team. Mike L., what do we got for us next week? Well, uh, I was going to keep going with uh, TV and toy tie-ins, but I got to get back to DC Comics Oof. to do some post-crisis <laughs> comic books here. And we're going to go with The Question. Remember The Question? The Question. Is he like a detective? Yes. Basically, he inspired Rorschach. I was going to say, isn't that... All right. Yeah. All right, this may not be too bad, then. Yeah, the question number one. So I'll send you the link as soon as I get it working. It's broken right now, the link, so... What year is this? 1987. 87. All right, the question 87. All right, Miles Watson, thank you for joining us yet again. And uh, people can go to uh, Amazon and buy all your books there. Uh, Cage Life, Knuckle Down, Sinner's Cross. And I see you're pushing uh, Devil's You Know, a short story collection right now. I am. The Blackwell Book Tours, Blackthorn Book Tours is doing a uh, 
a tour of my short story collection, horror short story collection, Devils You Know Right Now, which was, that book came out almost, I guess it's five years ago now or even more. Yeah, time is quick. uh, Yes, way too quick uh, for me. But it's out and about, and it is up there along with everything else I've I've written. So uh, horror fans might want to check that out. You will not find a cabbage firing tank, so you can penalize it a star for that. Yeah, or go to one nine bookscom You can find all miles of books there. They'll link you to the Amazon. You can buy them there. And uh, I know Mike L is doing it right. Hey, Mike L, I put out a book again uh, not too long ago either. I'm sure you bought your copy, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, all right. Thanks for that. No, I'm just kidding. You know, <laughs> right. I have tons of friends that publish books, comics. <laughs> they record music. I don't read or listen to any of it. That's just... That's just the kind of support we, we uh, yeah. count on. You yeah. Know, <laughs> we appreciate it. All right. Until next week, Michael. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, you can catch all of our episodes. I'm going to send everybody straight to the Comic Book Syndicate website so we can rake in all the money. Uh, you can catch every episode of Flea Market Fantasy there. Uh, we review Bronze Age comics one week. I pick one week. Mike Dell picks. So be sure to join us again next week. And until then, disperse! <laughs>